Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hey, Gina. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad we finally got this to work. Hi. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So you're a health and fitness coach. You are also manager of Candace Owens, and you've worked in media. You're involved in lots of, like, lifestyle, culture type stuff. So tell me a little bit about your story. How did you get into health and fitness? Um, it started probably about eight years ago when I got serious about health and fitness. I was uh, in finishing up graduate school in Boston and I just felt the need to just try something new and try some kind of workout or exercise. I was going to be a stress reliever for, um, everything I was doing in school at the time. And so I decided to try Bikram yoga, which is hot yoga for an hour and a half in a room that is, at least a hundred or supposed to be at least 110 degrees with like, you know, 30% humidity. Um, and I, I really got into that for a while and it was a great, uh, stress reliever at the time. And it was really nice way for me to take a break from everything that was going on in terms of school and work. And I just became so enamored with it and addicted to it. I was going every single night. Um, I, I like to joke and say that I've never paid to, to take yoga before because the first, day that I was there, I convinced them to make me, um, you know, one of those people that basically cleans the yoga studio to get wow. free membership. So I convinced them to do that on probably the first or second day that I was there. And, and that's how I started like kind of working at the yoga studio too. Um, and then after my graduate school, graduate school program was over, I decided to go to yoga teacher training in 2013. And then that's sort of how I got into the the industry. I mean, it's changed a lot since then. Sure. I don't teach yoga anymore. Um, I, you know, got more into the strength and conditioning side, a lot of CrossFit, and then I started doing personal training. So it's evolved over the years, but it's been about seven or eight years now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. What were you in grad school for? I got a master of theological studies, which I'm not really using much of today. I mean, I, I am a little bit, but um, I, I went to a school for liberal arts, which I say today is definitely not worth doing with the state of universities, but um, it's what I chose to do at the time. And so I graduated from that in 2013. Oh, Awesome. So you said you transitioned quite a bit. You started off with yoga and then you moved into more of the strength and conditioning side of things. And how did that happen? How did that evolve? Um, I think it was just a a desire from myself to find some more training that was going to be sustainable and, Mm -hmm. um, 
and make me feel a lot stronger because what I noticed in yoga is that, you know, we were just all getting really flexible, but there wasn't really much strength. You need some external load to really grow that and develop that. So that's when I started doing um, CrossFit and I was a CrossFit junkie for a while, a couple of years and blew out my knee doing that, of course. And, um, and then from there, I really got into just classic strength training, like, you know, the bodybuilder day splits. Yeah. And I started working with the kettlebell and, um, yeah. And then I ended up morphing more into the Edo Portal movement culture. And that's my main form of practice now. That's awesome. That's awesome. I coach CrossFit and I also train people in more of the kind of like condition, strength conditioning. I'm really passionate about that. Um, but I come from like a gymnastics background. So I love the Edo Portal kind of movement. Can you tell me a little bit about like the difference in the different styles of mu- movement from a health perspective like what it's done for your body what you see is done for other people and also like how do you feel like movement relates to like other areas of life mindset lifestyle yeah yeah I think that um you know as long as we're moving and training in the way that we like to train it's having the benefits I I would never be the person to say that something like CrossFit is better or worse Mm -hmm. than um anything else you know Mm -hmm. it's 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 really all about what your personal goals are and um it's it's about balance it's about finding a good balance between your training schedule and your lifestyle and your um your career too and 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 training to the point where you're actually feeling well um you know we always joke and say oh this is functional movement it's like (laughs) what's what's the function what's it for Um, so we need to understand what our own personal goals are in order to determine what kind of training or practice we want to do. Um, I mean, I personally love the Edo Portal movement culture because it's a general movement practice. There's, it's, Mm -hmm. there's no specialty. You don't specialize in just weightlifting Mm -hmm. or, um, mobility training. You don't just specialize in handstands. You specialize in anything and everything that involves movement. And so he takes the, um, you know, he takes the best, nuggets of of wisdom from each sport and from each practice from martial arts from boxing from jujitsu um to dance and gymnastics and there are so many different practices that he pulls from to make a really diverse um general practice so you're good at everything so one second we're doing handstands and then we can transition into doing gymnastics ring work and then we can transition into doing things like arm waves or like spinal work um so there's a lot of variety that keeps you interested and on your toes Mm -hmm. and um it's a really great practice for sustainability for long term um so, I mean, that's why I like it because my, one of my biggest goals right now is to just keep growing and learning and developing. I think once you hit a certain level of strength training and just weightlifting, you're like, okay, but there's got to be something more. Um, so that's why I like the practice that I do, but um, it definitely requires some dedication and hard work that I think an everyday person may not have. Sure. Um, but, you know, just general benefits of, of, um, you know, training well and, and moving often is that, um, if it positively affects every single aspect of your life, it's going to help you perform better in your career. It's going to help you with your personal relationships. Mm -hmm. It's going to obviously help with things like your sleep and your mood. Um, 
and just your outlook on life. And I think people often underestimate the power of training regularly and the power of being dedicated to a practice, a physical practice, especially because it really teaches you a sense of resilience mm-hmm. and dedication and hard work that very few other things do. So, you know, for most millennials who go out and drink on the weekends and they, you know, spend their time going from restaurant to restaurant and going to brunch, like what is really the purpose of that? Wouldn't you rather be doing something that, um, you know, is developing you? And so I think that's the power of having a strong practice is that it teaches you discipline and it teaches you to set goals for yourself. So there's just an endless list of benefits and reasons why we all should be adopting some kind of practice of, you know, in some kind of training. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, I definitely, like, I talk a lot about that too, that I feel like it teaches you discipline, teaches you I think it's a metaphor for life, like how you should live your life. And, you know, I think it teaches you a lot about all of those things. So, yeah, definitely. Um, Is there any ways that you've seen that for yourself or for people you've worked with where movement has been really healing physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we see the biggest difference with people who are a little bit older. I I know this incredible woman, she's in her late fifties and she trains with us and she's just so dedicated to her practice. And when you see a woman like that, who, um, it has just so much, um, vibrancy and, and so much passion for life. And they're in such a great place physically that they can really, um, be, be present for their friends and family and have a fulfilling life. Like seeing people like that, it's really inspiring to me to, to keep training and to convince and encourage others to as well. And, you know, we've seen the, the power of training and discipline heal a lot of different people's lives. I've worked with um, a single dad who was really struggling to know how he and his ex-wife should should co-parent and raise their daughter who was back and forth between the houses. And just the power of waking up early every morning and working out before his daughter gets up mm-hmm. and, um, and the power of really being disciplined about your diet, it inspired him to make some, some difficult changes in his life with his daughter that ended up getting really big results. Um, and, you know, he was getting really great feedback from his daughter's teachers about what a great change there was in his daughter's life. Yeah. So we see the, the ripple effects of this in a lot of people's lives, you know, different demographics and and people from different walks of life. And it's a really beautiful thing to see because that's what we want is we want practices and we want habits and things in our, and people in our life that encourage us to be better and grow so that we can give more to our community and to our family. Absolutely. You're talking about millennials going out and drinking on the weekends. And have you seen shift in people who do take up physical practice that they start to you know, make changes in other areas of their life, that it has a ripple effect that maybe they don't want to go out and drink every weekend and, you know, priorities change, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've seen people come in and they never really thought about, you know, losing weight, but they just come in and instead of going out and drinking all the time, they would come into the gym and train with us instead. And you lose your little beer belly so quickly, you know, and you, and, and you really change around your whole, your whole um, schedule because, and that's one of the reasons why I love being at martial arts gyms, like the jujitsu gyms where I train when you're training for a competition or when you're training to really get good at jujitsu, you can't be out drinking every single night because you need to get up early the next morning so you can go spar with the guys. And so you can um, really retain your technique that you're learning. So it, it completely changes the way that especially young men act 
Um, and that's why I think martial arts is particularly important for a lot of young men in today's society because learning that discipline and learning the hard work and the brotherhood of um, physical activity and, and sparring and, and fighting with each other has a really good impact on their lives. And, you know, I've met so many guys in jujitsu, my husband included, mm -hmm. who said that they were on a really bad path before they, they got into martial arts. And they were getting into a lot of fights and they had a lot of altercations with other young men. They were getting into trouble. They were skipping school and martial arts, you know, and jujitsu saved them and made them into um, honorable men and great men. And that's why almost all of the black belt men that I know, they're family men. They're great husbands and fathers and they're really dedicated to their families. It's because when you really connect with the brutality of the sport and when you really connect with this masculine um, propriety for violence, it's a natural instinct and yeah. that aggression isn't inherently bad. Aggression isn't inherently evil. Um, it just needs to be harnessed the right way. So that's how, you know, we see the power of fitness and martial arts really changing the lives of young men. I think that's amazing. I think especially in today's climate where men are taught that, that they should be ashamed of that kind of aggression. Um, and they don't really have an outlet and the outlets that they do are not good ones. You know, mm -hmm. they lead mm -hmm. to a lot of destructive things. So yeah, I, I definitely think that that's really powerful. That's really amazing to hear the story of that, you know, personally people have seen that change. So yeah. Yeah. That's super exciting. Um, what do you think about the current fitness culture? What do you see? How, how do you see it changing? What do you think is, going in a good direction, what would you like to see changing more or going in a completely different direction? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I do like that there's so much variety now in the fitness culture. And before it was just kind of like, you're either a runner or you like to lift weights. Right. Um, but there's a lot more um, variety and they have different things to offer now in the fitness culture, which is fantastic. And we're constantly seeing new practices come up and um, it's exciting to see, but I think one of the things that has been really disappointing in the fitness culture has been the adoption of um, body positivity and the obsession with um, representing categories of unhealthy women, um, morbidly obese women, as if that's something, those are people that need to be represented. Why? Right. That doesn't make any sense. So, you know, because before, before this body positive movement, the only women who were represented in, in, the, um, in, in the media and in advertisements were obviously really skinny women, right? But there was never anybody size eight. There was never anybody size 10. So why is it that size 16 and 20 and 24 need to be represented when the rest of us haven't been represented either? Like, why do you feel the need to be represented? What, what is it about you that makes you so special? Mm -hmm. My size has never been represented in the media, ever. I'm a size four, six. I've always had a bit broader shoulders. I'm short. Um, you know, it's, I don't look like the supermodels that I saw every day, but I didn't feel the need to start a movement to scream and cry about why doesn't anyone look like me in the media? Why don't they hire people and, and advertise people that just look like me? It's the most fragile, uh, it's the most fragile state of mind to be that, um, that upset with yourself and that insecure that you feel like you desperately need to see someone who looks like you all the time. And me too, being a mixed race, like I never saw anybody who looks like me in the media. Sure. I didn't, it honestly, genuinely didn't bother me. I don't know how people get so up in arms about not being represented. And it's because they don't have enough meaning and, and enough fulfillment in their life that they feel like they have to chase something like this. So it's been really disappointing to see this obsession move into the fitness culture as well. And now you have a lot of brands who, um, 
regularly advertise morbidly obese women and, and, and obesity being the number one public health crisis in America and killing the most people every year, it doesn't make any sense why we're um, putting it on a pedestal and glorifying it. What do you think that that is about? Why? So I understand from the, you know, people crying victim, like I need to see myself represented. But what do you think from the media's perspective? Why are we seeing so much of this? Because it makes a lot of money. Because it makes a lot of women who feel insecure about themselves click and buy things. And that's the thing is that women are the easiest consumers. That's why we spend the most money. That's why marketing agencies spend the most money to create campaigns that are targeted specifically towards us because we are the greatest consumers. We pay the most money. We buy the most things. We are the most easily swayed when it comes to the advertisements um, uh, dished out by various companies. And so, of course, they're going to monetize on that. It's a huge moneymaker. Any woman who is not a size two looks at that and starts crying. This is so I feel represented. No, this is so amazing. Girl power. And they go and they buy all their stuff. And they spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars at Lululemon and Nike and all the places, you know, all these corporations that are only doing this to make money. Do you think they actually care about fat girls being represented? Do you think that's, that's something that is on their agenda? No, they're, they're there to make money and it's very smart. And so that's why you will never see a fat man on the cover of GQ. You will never see a morbidly obese man on the cover of men's health because men just don't fall for it. Men aren't stupid enough and insecure enough to faint and say, oh, that guy doesn't look like me. This is, this is a travesty. And it's just women. We're very fragile, insecure consumers. And these yeah. companies and corporations, they monetize on it. And it's a good strategy. You make a lot of money. Right. But you really have to ask the question, um, what's the end goal here? And the end goal is, of course, to get clicks and views and to get products purchased so that they can make as much, so they can make as much money as possible. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with you on all of that. I think there is something else I'm seeing kind of in the bigger culture and media where I'm seeing a lot of, uh, I, I call it anti-heroism. You know, it's like giving, instead of, I, I think, you know, in past generations, there was a lot of giving you something to aspire towards. And now it's kind of like destruction and looking down on something, you know, like reality television is a really good example of that. Um, and I, I, th- I think it's really devastating, honestly. I think it, you know, it's very damaging to the general psyche of people. Yeah. Well, I wonder what, if this is part of that. Yeah. yeah and what, a good point to that is that what they've done is they've completely erased the idea that there are winners and losers in life yep. and that some people are winners and some people are not winners and that there are objectively good choices that you can make in your life to improve the state of your life and to make sure that you don't end up, you know, alone and broke and unhappy, but they don't want, they don't want to draw those lines and make it clear. They want to celebrate mediocrity. They want to celebrate, um, you know, the average or the lower than average person. They want to celebrate the morbidly obese outliers in order to make, um, you know, in order to make the odd ones off feel good about themselves. Um, it's, it's just a culture that is obsessed with erasing any sort of objectivity because objectively, objectively, a morbidly obese model is not someone that's beautiful to look at. Right. That should not be, that should not be a controversial thing to say. Um, no. That's that's biologically how we're designed. Um, is that we are attracted to, you know, a certain, a certain look and a certain kind of person. So, you know, would and you, health, not, a paradigm of health, you know, absolutely. Yeah. You'll never see a healthy person who looks really ugly and looks like they're about to die. That's just not how it works. So I think that because we're so afraid to draw those lines, it's been a real detriment in society. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. I think there's also been uh, 
you know, you said like biologically you're wired to be attracted to and to like things that are beautiful. I think there's been a real loss of beauty in general um, that we're seeing. I agree. I think that's a great point. And it's because I tweeted about this the other day. Modern mm-hmm. feminism inherently um, inherently takes masculinity away from men. And it also inherently takes femininity away from women. And what, one of the... Does, what's that? What does? I missed the first word. Modern feminism. Yes. So modern feminism attempts to take away masculinity and femininity and just toss it all in a grab bag. Um, but what that does is one of the primary functions of the feminine spirit, one of the primary functions of femininity is beauty. Yeah. Our, our gender is what brings beauty into the world. You know, the men bring something just a little bit different, even just yeah. how we're biologically built. Yeah. Women are, are really the sort of carrier, the torch carrier of beauty in the world. And um, when you take away femininity from women, it really strips away what beauty is. And it really takes away the chance for us to be beautiful. Yeah, no, that's so well said. And I totally agree. And I want to ask you a question about your point before about, you know, the, you know, give, like every, there's no, I guess like the participation trophies essentially is what we're talking about there. Um, I feel like one of the, one of the most powerful things about movement and fitness training, any kind of physical training is that it, no matter how talented you are, you have to work at it. You know I mean? Somebody doesn't become an Olympian just because they were, you know, blessed with this innate talent that may help them, you know, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Some people do have an advantage, but no matter how gifted you are, you still have to put the work in. And I think, you know, that's something that physical training teaches you. You can't escape it. And I think to put this in the fitness industry. Yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. This is is such a great point because, um, yeah, when you think about it, I like to say it this way. When you really actually think about fitness and sports and martial arts, they're actually inherently conservative. And what I mean by that is that they are based on merit. It doesn't matter. Meritocracy. Meritocracy, like it does, it doesn't matter. The identity politics can't actually play a role when there are tangible targets to hit and when there are tangible scores. And that's why, um, you know, a, a lot of athletes, I mean, not at, you know, the sort of highest level like Colin Kaepernick, but a lot of athletes are just inherently conservative because they know that some people, yes, yeah, some people do have a genetic hand up or a genetic step up, but if they don't work hard, they're not going anywhere. So it doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter who your parents were, doesn't matter how much money you have. If you put in the work and if you work hard, you can lose weight or you can play that sport or you can be an Olympic winner. Like it yeah. doesn't, it really doesn't matter what the background is and what the color of your skin is. Um, so that's why I, it's, that's why I also think that doing martial arts and sports as young kids, it's, it teaches us really great values because it teaches us that there's nothing in this world that is just handed to us. Right. Um, that's why I always say there's like, they're, they're inherently conservative sports and fitness and martial arts. I, I, I would agree with that, but I think they're really doing everything possible to try and change that. They are. Yeah. yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that. And I think that that's a, well, I think, it, I think it's very, I think it's devastating personally, because those are the values that society needs to be taught. Those are the values that children need to be taught. Um, yes. And I think it's one of the reasons children play sports, right? Like, yep. so they can learn that. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, I guess uh, this would be a little bit of a segue because you do work in the political sphere. Um, and I'm very curious about, did you always have the, the views that you have now? Or did was there a light bulb moment for you? Or Yeah. yeah I would say for most of my life, I, I was raised a conservative Christian. 
Um, I grew up in the Bible Belt in South Georgia, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 10 churches in an eight mile radius on the way from the stoplight back to my house, small town, you know, um, very Southern and um, yeah, it was Bible thumping town. And so I grew up as a conservative Christian and my parents were always very patriotic. My dad served in the military. Um, We were always a pro-America household. We, Um, my dad was all about respect. That was my dad's thing. You, you show respect for your elders, you show respect for your country, you show respect for your parents and you treat people with respect. That was, you know, the sort of motto in my house. Um, So I was, you know, I would, I I even remember as a high schooler, I would tease liberal values. You know, I would even tease about things as a teenager about the welfare system. And I used to say things like, oh, you know, I used to like the the bumper stickers. I thought it was really funny. The bumper stickers that say work harder, millions of people on welfare need it or something. Um, And so I was pretty conservative when I was young. But then going to college, the latter end of college, and then, of course, into graduate school, I turned full leftist, you know, heavily indoctrinated with critical race theory, um, heavily indoctrinated with modern feminism. Mm -hmm. Um, I was an intersectional feminist, and I wrote for... um, for a lot of young women's digital media publications. I wrote a lot about racism and sexism and um, identity politics. Um, And I used to write a lot about mental health and and women's health and all from a very feminist perspective. And so I did that for a couple of years. And I was, you know, when Trump came down that escalator, I absolutely hated him. I thought he was a raging racist, like everyone else did in the coastal cities, if you turn on the news. so that's where I was for a few years in my 20s. I would say for probably like five years, maybe even, yeah, about five years in my 20s, maybe six years. I was a raging feminist. I was so mad. I hated men. I wanted to leave America and I used to hate capitalism. I said it was evil, but I probably couldn't even told you the difference between capitalism and socialism. Um, and then in 2000. 16 at the end of the year after you know trump had been elected i I was asking myself i was like how could this be real what's happening and i said am i missing something Mm -hmm. i thought to myself i've got to be missing something (laughs) i just i feel like this is not you know why would trump get elected because if he were really that evil i said to myself if you were really that evil don't you think that he wouldn't have been elected like, i just don't understand i feel like i'm missing something and then i had someone at the time ask me will you watch a, a speech of trump mm-hmm. and i was like no way i'm not gonna watch that <laughs> racist um and then i ended up watching it and i watched a full i watched a couple of speeches and then i watched a couple of his rallies and i realized i just remember my jaw dropping and number one i just said to myself i'm being lied to or being lied to and number two i can't explain this it's an intangible feeling that i'll never forget i still can remember to this day i just had this overwhelming sense of safety i was thinking to myself i was like huh america feels safer Mm-hmm. I said there's something about him and there's something about the way that he fiercely loves America that makes yeah. me feel safe. And I, I, I keep, uh, sorry, just in, uh, Charlie Kirk had a line at the RNC where he said that he's the bodyguard for Western civilization. And I keep repeating it because I, that resonated so, so much for me. But yeah. That's so great. I've never heard that. Yeah. And he feels like that. Right. You know, he's like, Trump is kind of like the bully. He's kind of like, 
the bad guy, but for the good guys. Yeah. Like, you know, he'll, he'll do the dirty work for you. You know, he'll get in fake news face and call them out. Um, and you, you feel like he's, he's the one that's going to stick up for you. He's the one that's going to protect America. And so when I was watching him speak, it occurred to me, I said, this man loves this country. He does. And that was sort of the first seed planted. And so I was like, okay. And then I started watching more videos and it turned out every Friday night, I was red pilling myself. I would sit down and watch his speeches. I watched a lot of speeches of Victor Davis Hanson. Have you heard of him? I love him. I watched so many of his videos, his Hillsdale videos, fantastic. He's really, he's wonderful. He really opened my eyes um, and changed the way I saw a lot of things. I watched so many of his videos. I watched a lot of the Rubin Report. Dave Rubin at that time was just producing really great content with a lot of different voices. Um, And I started listening to Charlie Kirk and Turning Point. And then, of course, Candace. Yeah. Um, And that's when I sort of um, really dove in and realized that, you know, early 2017 that we were severely being lied to and I stayed quiet for two years wow I just like didn't say I I didn't participate at all in politics I was really hush hush about it um I was just reading and learning and trying to unlearn all the things that I had absorbed in graduate school and relearn what the truth was and um I read so many books and then two years later I came out (laughs) (laughs) why came out silent for so long What's that? Why did you stay silent for so long? Because number one, I was scared. Yeah. I was scared. I, I, I really, cause I was living in San Francisco. Yes. I understand. So, you know, San Francisco is not the kind of place where you can come out as a conservative and come out alive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I was nervous. I didn't want to, I was also still working at a media company. Wow. I was still working at a media company. I was a fitness editor. I wasn't doing any sort of news content or culture society. I mean, I was doing like, you know, 99% of my content was about fitness and health. So I was just observing the the media from the inside. And I was seeing the way that they, um, that they created biased content. And I can't tell you how many times we were censored from producing information. A lot of it, we were censored from fitness. Even in health and fitness. Oh, yeah. They don't want you to, to put certain things like um, a good diet and a healthy lifestyle can prevent and, and also treat PCOS, like things like that. Yeah. And they don't want you to say these things that haven't been like approved by their doctors. There's a lot of censorship. Um, and so I was watching all this at the same time. I was watching all these videos. I was totally red pilled. I like, you know, in my head, I thrown feminism out the window, modern feminism. I was like, I don't want a part of this anymore. I, they're just, this is not a, a, a movement that I want to be a part of. Um, so that's how I got, you know, into that whole scene. And I was just quiet. And then I ended up quitting media and then started working in fitness full time. And then that's when I met Candace. Okay. How did you meet Candace? Um, I reached out to her cause I wanted to be on her podcast. Okay. I, um, I was such a big fan of her. And as soon as I heard that she was going to be starting her own podcast, I, I was like, Oh, I bet it's going to be so good. So I listened for like six months because her podcast started in January of 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. January, 2019. And so I listened to her podcast for about five or six months and she didn't have anybody on to talk about body positivity. And I said to myself, I bet you Candace Owens hates the idea of body positivity. Let me just send <laughs> her a cold email and see if she'll respond to me and have me on her show. Um, 
And I guessed what her email was because I had no idea. Of course, her email is not public information. Right. So I sat on my computer and I guessed what her email was. That's awesome. And I went through five bounce backs and I finally got the right email and it didn't bounce back. I was like, oh, okay, great. I was like, I'm just going to cross my fingers that she gets it. Yeah. And then two months later, I had completely forgotten about it. Um, her assistant contacts me and says, can we set a date? We'd love to have you on the show. And then the next month or two, I went to LA. I filmed with her in September and we hit it off. And then a couple of days later, she asked me if um, I wanted to come work for her. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And you said yes. <laughs> I said yes. Yeah. yeah. So moved out of San Francisco over to the DC, Virginia area. And that's where I've been since the beginning of this year. Wow. And what, what has that been like, especially under this? Yeah. Milieu. It was tough. It's been tough. We were in DC for two months. The first two months we were there and then boom, COVID hit and we were on lockdown. Um, and it was a really tough situation. And, um, you know, we had ended up having to move like four times, but now we're in the Northern Virginia area and it's so much better because the seat, the city was getting unsafe. The city has been really kind of scary lately with all the protests and riots. And, um, my coworker, the entire street that he lives on, all the cars got broken into because of rioters and protesters. So it's just, um, it's a really unsafe place to be now. So we're really glad we got out of there. Sure. Yeah, well, I'm really glad you're in a safe place. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I know we're a little bit pressed for time. I have like a million and one questions. So I'll try and, you know, condense a little bit. Um, what, have, what has been the biggest, like, surprise to you shifting into, you know, working with Candace, doing your work with Blexit? Yeah. What is something you didn't necessarily expect to learn? Um, I didn't expect this world of politics slash culture to be so cutthroat. It's really cutthroat. Yeah. And, and they say that it is sort of in passing, <laughs> but um, it's more cutthroat than you think. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are very willing to stab you in the back to get whatever they want, whether it's more followers or more money or more fame. Yeah. Um, so that was something that, um, you, you know, I learned very quickly. And as, as many people know, Candace is at the top of the game. Sure. Yeah. She's arguably, you know, top three that, that are in the game right now. And she's really changing. She's changing our culture in a way that we've never seen before. So Candace has a lot of people that would try to bring her down a lot. Yeah. And I was, that was the most surprising thing to see what people will do and say, and, and the kinds of lies they'll tell and the kind the weird actions that they'll take to, you know, get back at somebody. It's just really strange to see how people, um, how they act in this world. It's been surprising. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, definitely like if you have a general belief that people are generally decent and even if you hear, you're, you, you don't necessarily want to believe that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you talked about being red-pilled. What was that like? So you had started off being conservative and then you kind of went very far the other direction. Um, and I find it's when talking to people about their red pilling experience that it's almost traumatic for them because they realize they have been lied to and they realize, you know, that's a really hard, you know, that Nietzsche had a great quote about people don't actually want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions to be dispelled, you know, yeah. like having your whole world shaken. Yeah. Uh, so what was that like for you and how did you cope with that? And how do you, guide others because I would imagine you do guide others through coping with that right I got really angry yeah 
I got really angry. I was in disbelief. I was so mad, so mad, Courtney, like so, so upset. It consumed my mind. What made me so mad is that there were so many good people that had been completely lied to. And that, um, it, and it really made me mad. It actually, like on a sentimental level, especially someone who is the leader of our country, really made me mad how much they lie about President Trump. Um, just like you, you know, just wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so that's what it just made me so angry. I was like, how can they do this? How can they do this to, you know, to the leader of the free world? It used to be about respect. We used to have respect in our country. Yeah. And, you know, even and my the leaders, whether you, whether you yeah. agree with them or not. Yes. Exactly. We used to always say we support our the commander in chief no matter what because you know we love our country. It's not like that anymore, and it just makes me so. It made my blood boil when the veil was pulled back and you see what they do and how they lie, and and the the lengths they'll go to play dirty. It just made me so mad. And then what else made me really upset is that I thought about the lives of young women that were destroyed by modern feminism and that were destroyed by the lies of the left and the lie of body positivity and, um, and intersectionality. It's just these identity politics, like these are the, the values and the beliefs that end up, you know, rotting your life to the core and really giving you a lonely existence. And I got so mad for all those young women who have been, um, you know, I'm, and, and I'll say a lot of young women who have been pressured or encouraged to get an abortion when they, you know, may not have wanted to. And also the millions and millions of these babies that are being killed at just high alarming rates. I was angry. I was so mad. So the first several months of being red pilled, I would just wake up so angry every day. And at the time I had, you know, my ex was really there for me at the time. He was like helping me, um, you know, pull back the veil himself. And so we talked about it for hours and hours a day. And I was just in disbelief and anger. I felt like, um, you know, a couple, I felt like years of my 20s had been robbed from me. But even worse, there were more years that had been robbed from more people. Um, so it, it felt like a, it felt like a huge injustice. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point because I think, you know, the social justice warriors feel like they're fighting for justice. And I, I truly believe there are a lot of people who genuinely actually, you know, Stalin's term, useful idiots. They really think they're doing good. They do. Uh, they really can you do. talk a little bit about what is the harm that they are doing to, you know, women like the feminists, the, mm -hmm. you know, some of the other intersectional politics. How mm -hmm. is it really, I think it's soul rotting, truly. Mm -hmm. um, so talk a little bit about like, what are your thoughts on that? How yeah, are people? Yeah. The two biggest ways I would say, number one, they're flat out lying to women. So they are, they are, um, withholding the truth, which is in and of itself harmful. If you are withholding or distorting truth that can really help someone be better and live better that, you know, that is evil. And so that's what I see with modern feminism, identity politics, they're literally lying. So for example, they tell you that women are oppressed and then there's a gender wage gap. That is an outright lie yeah. to tell women that we are not being paid the same amount of money as men are simply because of our genitals. That is a lie. Wow. And so they peddle this, they peddle the, the narrative and they twist it when the reality is men and women, we have different preferences and we go yeah. into different careers and there's something called the market. 
which dictates, um, you know, how much money and how much revenue you're bringing in for your work. So, you know, there's this lie that women are paying, be paying less because we're women and it's a cruel patriarchy out there and they, they want to keep you down. But what it really is, is that we are more interested in early childhood education and counseling and psychology and, and, um, you know, nursing rather than being a surgeon. And we're more interested in, um, religion and theology, which is exactly what I went into. And these are all um, careers and paths that don't really pay much when you compare it to the aerospace engineering that 97% of aerospace engineering students are male. And what, you think that we're just pushing men into that? No, men are better suited to work with data and numbers and um, things things and to build things and and women are more wired to we have a higher emotional iq Mm -hmm. so you know we we are about connection and fostering communication and community so that's why we choose different careers so the gender wage gap is a complete line then you have these women that are angry at men because they believe that there's some sort of injustice so that is evil in and of itself to convince women that we are lower than men are and to make us angry and number two what these movements do is that they they encourage us to go against our nature they encourage us to go against what is best for us. And, you know, they, they say all these things like, listen to your body, listen to your body. Well, if we really listen to our bodies as women, we would know that, you know, being feminine and giving birth and being a mother and being a wife, like these are actually the best things that are for us physically. Yeah. Um, there are high rates of women who don't ever have any children. They have much higher rates of breast cancer and ovarian cancer. You know, there's a lot of, it's kind of scary, but there's a lot of research showing that if women don't do with our bodies what we're meant to do, there can actually be consequences. Absolutely. And so, you know, what modern feminism and identity politics do is that they rip away what the purpose of our bodies are, what the purpose of our lives are, which is to to be a wife, to um, to be a great mother, to be a part of a family. You don't necessarily have to have kids, not saying you even have to get married, but to be part of a community and to give to others. Um, that's really what um, you know, a part of that is that's being taken away and that we're being told is wrong. And I think that's, that's such an evil thing to do to young women. So agree. Yeah. And it's negating biology. So it negates everything that we know intrinsically to be true. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, uh, what do you think uh, moving forward? I mean, this is probably one of the craziest elections I've ever lived through. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what do you see happening? Um, I, I'm not too nervous about this year. Um, I was for a minute during the George Floyd riots when they first started, but I think that president Trump is going to win again. Doesn't mean we should get complacent, but I do think he's going to get reelected. I'm actually more worried about 2024. Um, I think we're going to see a much more, we're, we're going to see an attempt at a much more radical shift by the left. I think that whoever, whatever candidates they're going to put forward in 2024 are much more radical. And I think that's a scary thing. And it makes me nervous because I don't know who's going to follow President Trump. We need someone who's just as strong, if not stronger, to usher us through this difficult period and to make sure that we don't lose our country and lose our freedoms. And I'm a bit nervous because I don't know who, who's going to follow Trump. Right. Absolutely. Um, you bring up the, you know, how radical they have gotten. Um, I think it is really interesting because we've seen, you know, and this is over the course of really hundreds of years, you know, the the radical left used to be very transparent. You know, they were, they were the party of revolution. Um, so they were very transparent. They made their agenda very well known. And then we moved in through, I would say, over the past uh, 
you know, we'll just call it the long march through the institutions where it was very covert. Um, and I think that's part of why we're where we are today. And there are so many, you know, I'll use the term again, useless people who don't realize what is happening because they've been blatantly lied to. And it was done very slowly, very uh, methodically and very strategically. Yeah. But I think now we're seeing kind of this shift where they're being very brazen and very radical um, and open about it. Do you, why do you think that is that they're now suddenly so confident and comfortable in being that overt about how anti-American to use a letter, lack of a better term. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we, it, it took decades for us to get indoctrinated. And so now we feel really, really comfortable speaking out against America. And in fact, it got to the point where it became um, the norm and it became the societal trend to speak up against America. So we've gotten to this radical point because we've been indoctrinated heavily in the universities in public schools. We've also been heavily indoctrinated in a lot of churches. Um, working with Candace, that's something that we talk about all the time is that um, the rotting doesn't just come from the public schools in black America. It also comes in a lot of the black churches. Mm -hmm. This is where they, um, they prop up Black Lives Matter. This is where they prop up um, identity politics and the idea that you're a victim and America owes you something because um, you know we have, uh, we have a past of slavery. And so these are the things that are also being taught in churches. So we're getting indoctrinated from all over the place, from all angles. So of course, we are at a point now where people feel much more comfortable being radical about their ideas because we had been conditioned for so long to believe that, you know, this was the logical next step. Yeah, that, that's very frightening, but I do agree with you. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Hopefully we can do this again. Yeah, let's well, do it again. Let's do a part yeah. two. Yeah. Yay. I would love it. I would love it. I think there's Great. so much more you can deep dive into. Yeah. If anything, last, you know, things you want to say and definitely tell people where to find you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think for anyone listening, the biggest thing to do right now is to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and that you're really taking care of your health with everything going on. It's a crazy mm -hmm. year. I think this is by far the craziest election year that I've ever lived through. Um, it's really important to have good grounding and to feel like you're in a good place. So always take care of yourself. If you have any questions about health fitness, you can always um, get in touch with me. You can find me on Twitter at FlorioGina, um, on Instagram at GMFlorio. And then my website is GMFlorio.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yes, thanks we'll for having me, Courtney. You're thanks. welcome. Take Bye. care. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.